Yes, I am pumped to get this one going, Soul Fam. Welcome to Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman, and best-selling author of Animal Power Book, Allison Charles. And today, we enter into a world of play. But do not let this world fool you. No, no. It is infused and embodied with deep, potent, ancient wisdoms and transmissions. Today, we are chatting with Jason Niemer, a world champion acrobat and the co-founder of Acro Yoga. Jason's work was featured in New York Times bestselling author Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans. By age 16, Jason had won silver and bronze medals at the world championships. By age 21, he had realized his dream of performing at the Olympic Games. And today, you can find him dedicating his life to studying, teaching, and traveling the world to unite communities through the power of acro yoga. And I have a wild past connection to acro yoga. We dive fully into it in this episode, but I'll just say there were some trippy full circle moments over nearly 20 years. And now Jason and I are Texas neighbors. And I'm so grateful I get to work with the co-founder of Acro Yoga himself and this practice I have grown to so love. So what do Jason and I chat about? We dive into how he grew up being trained by top Russian and Bulgarian acrobatic masters. It's definitely a very unique life experience to have for sure. How the download for Acro Yoga came in. It's such an amazing story. And this quote from his new book, Acro yoga not only has the power to change the body you are in, it also has the power to change the direction your life is going. We explore that fully. And keeping the integrity of acro yoga in check, even as it has spread as a global phenomenon with thousands and thousands of students and many, many teachers of it worldwide. Now, Jason shares in full honesty and transparency with us when it comes to some of these more personal business aspects, and it's really something to relish in. It's so rare and unique and helpful information for any of you spiritual entrepreneurs out there. Why acro yoga feels so shamanic to me? The answer really resonated. And his closing Ceremony Circle podcast practice at the end of today's episode is a special breath and mantra sequence passed on to Jason from a master teacher of his, and I love it. I feel you will too. There is endless, truly, truly endless magic to this episode, fam. So let us open the doorway to connection on the edge with the co-founder of Acro Yoga and the author of new book, The Art and Science of Acro Yoga, Move, Connect, Play, Jason Niemer. really just sitting in the presence of you. It elicits this effervescence and this energetics of play, especially in my heart center. Yay. So I'll I'm take it right there. And, um, was just like ready to go. I got all excited. Um, so there's so many things I want to cover with you. You're such an intriguing guy, but I do, you know, want to, want to go back to some of more of your roots in terms of, I was so fascinated when I read that you grew up being trained by top Russian and Bulgarian acrobatic masters. And I was like, wow, what a sentence to like have in your bio. Um, it's, that seems like such a unique experience. So I w- was intrigued. How did that come to be? Yeah, there's so <laughs> many strange things that have unfolded one after another. 
So the Bulgarian connection, for any number of reasons that I don't know, Bulgarian acrobatic masters are some of the best, or at least back in the 90s and 80s, were some of the best acrobats in the world. And I stumbled into this very obscure practice of partner acrobatics, and my coaches found a Bulgarian that wanted to move to America, and they did the paperwork, and they got Demetar Menchev, who was a five-time world champion acrobat, to come to Sacramento, California, and he became one of my first coaches. And I remember so clearly, he held this, I think, seven-year-old girl in all these crazy advanced postures that this little girl had never done, but he was literally, literally a master, and he just had the capacity to put people's bodies into shapes that they didn't know they could do. And when I saw this man, I was just like, okay, you are the coolest thing I've seen. I want to learn from you. And I got to study with him and then countless others. Wow. And what is it about the Bulgarians that they're, they excel in this category of life? Well, it's not just Bulgarians. Russians, Chinese, and Bulgarians were the top back then. Okay. Since then, um, actually the U.S. has won some some gold medals at world championships, the British, uh, and now recently the Israelis have gotten amazing. So this wisdom used to be very much uh, secret and it was very hard to find people that knew this knowledge. And basically because a lot of the Russian and Eastern European countries didn't have good economics, a lot of these masters would go to countries that had more money. And so the information kind of seeped out and then training methods are training methods. Once you have a master teacher, you just have to find students that are disciplined and dedicated. So. Whoa. Okay. So I, I love where you just took us and I want to go into this nucleus for a moment. When you speak to, this isn't verbatim what you said, but, um, the ancient wisdoms or the secrets, um, I would not have correlated acrobatics to, wisdom keepers or, or mystical knowledge. But as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, that it's starting to make sense even in this real time. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? Yeah. So there used to be oral traditions. There still are to some degree. Uh, but what science and modern life has done is it's taken information and just spread it around the world without the respect that many people have had for centuries. And what is still alive is when you're an acrobatic master, your wisdom is transmitted from your body. You hold somebody in a handstand or you spot somebody in a handstand and that lineage of thousands of different masters throughout time is not something that you can download. Oh my God, this is like, I'm starting to geek out. Oh my Lord, I'm so glad that this opened up for us. I just like sitting in this area so much for some reason. It's, and it is tracking me back to when I was able to be flown by you at Cal and Peyton's house. And, and I was just telling Mariah, who um, I interviewed before you when we were both in the bathroom a minute ago, and I was telling her at, during that gathering, that acro yoga gathering that you were facilitating with us. I was explaining to her like the shamanic medicine that I felt in that gathering and like the energetics, the textures were so unique. And she was like, well, cause she's not done it yet before. And so she was just curious. She's like, well, why, why was that? Or, you know, what do you mean? Can you explain more? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I said, I said, I think a lot of it 
had to do with who Jason is, like his embodiment. And she, and she you know, cause you do feel really special. And, um, so now I'm starting Aww. to under you. Yeah, you do <laughs> go ahead and soak it in. Yeah. You're a special being. And so hearing this explanation, I'm starting to understand more. Yeah. Cause all of your devotion to this, your devotion to answering the call of the download. And we'll get into that of how this like idea came to be you studying, you being initiated and having your own rites of passage through studying under these other masters and receiving their codes into you. And then I was so blessed to be flown personally by you. And so I sure I got a good dose of the codes. Oh, well, and what is also beautiful is it's not just acrobatic masters, it's healing masters, it's yoga masters. So I remember the first time I met this master named Arjun Poo. And I went to him and he had me stand up and he looked at my body and just analyzed it like a computer. And he told me exactly where all of my imbalances, old injuries were. And I legitimately thought it was witchcraft. And then I met another healer who I wouldn't consider a master healer, but a very, very good healer. And she trained me how to train my eye. She would say, okay, follow this person who's walking and start walking how they walk. And by imitating their movements, start thinking and feeling into where tightness is. So I did that practice and she also trained me how to look at bodies and be like, okay, I see this shoulder is lifted. I see this, this elbows a little bit forward. So these are things that they are teachable. They are trainable. But in the beginning, you just think it's all mystical and magical, but there is a science to how people do their magic. Oh my Lord. Okay. There's so much. I'm trying to decide like where I want to go with all of this. Okay. Okay. So let's stay with you are being trained. Um, these masters are coming into your field and into your experience. You're leaning in, you're saying yes. Um, so yes, this is where I want to go. I read when I was doing my research that you won silver and bronze in the world championships and you were able to perform at the Olympics opening ceremonies. And so I was curious where in your journey, like, did you envision your life going in the way that it did? Cause you know, acrobatics, I guess, depending upon what style, well, okay. Hang on. I was getting ahead of myself because I know one of the things you teach in acro yoga is like kind of no matter the age, you can say yes to it. So I don't know what, what's coming up for you. I know this is a rambly question, but I was just yeah curious. Like, did you always envision gymnastics and acrobatics? Did you think for a long time that it would end up being your, your calling and your profession? Or did you think it would just be a chapter of your life? So I didn't know, well, what I knew when I saw the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles and the U.S. team won gold medals because the Russians boycotted that year. Right. And I just loved this idea of, I was nine years old, the idea of gymnastics and Olympics. That seed was planted, but it wasn't until I was 12 that my little brother was doing gymnastics and I thought, I'll go watch. And then after I watched one session, I was like, well, that's, that's stupid to watch. I want to go try it. And I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that I fell in love with gymnastics right off the bat, but it's like, oh, this is fun. And my mom enjoyed watching us fumble around and she thought it was very uh, comical. So she'd come to watch us fumble. And 
I do remember the first time I saw somebody doing standing partner acrobatics where this man held a woman in a handstand in his hands. And that was a true love moment where I was just, whoa, mm. whatever they're doing, I want to learn it. It was similar to what I found with that Bulgarian master Demichar Menchev. But the first time I saw it, I was drawn to it. I went right up to them and I said, please teach me. Where were you? Sacramento, California. Was it like an in a gymnasium? Yeah, in a gymnastics club. Okay. Just a private gymnastics club. And so once I saw acrobatics and once I started it, I never thought for a moment that I wouldn't do it. It just was a love that kept growing and expanding. And even to this day, there's still so many acrobatic things that I haven't done that I want to do that just, you know, the right conditions haven't been there, but I'm an acrobat for life and I'm maybe halfway into my life. I'm 47. I will be next week. Mm. And uh, I think I have another 50 years. Let's see. So at this halfway point, I will not live without learning more and dedicating more to Mm. acrobatics because it's just such a wellspring of joy for me. Mm. Yeah. It's such a unique experience. And, uh, I have told you this before, but for the soul fam joining us. Um, so I had first learned of acro yoga, like back towards its inception point. So I had recently graduated from college and my friend Lindsay had studied, uh, Lindsay Britt. Yes. She had, um, you know, taken classes or courses and teacher training. Okay. Teacher training. Yeah. And I remember when I was back in Indiana, I went to college in Alabama. And when I got back to Indiana, she was telling me all about it and she started to fly me and I was having such a great time. And then fast forward, you know, just the hilarity and miracle of how life works, you know, fast forward all of these years, I mean, 20 years and unexpectedly Luke and I hear the call to move to Austin And then we unexpectedly get an invite after we move here to go to our friend Callan Payton's house, courtesy of our friend Hallie, our mutual friend Hallie, who is organizing this acro yoga gathering. And then I show up and you're there and you're the facilitator. I'm like, all the dots start to connect. I'm like, wait a second. This is the co-founder, the creator of acro yoga. And I don't think I've I mean, maybe there was like a time or two randomly throughout those 20 years where I was at an event or a party where somebody uh, who's a a teacher of it um, flew me like it's like a foggy memory. Um, But in essence, it almost feels like from the time my old time friend told me about it, fast forward 20 years, I'm in someone's living room being flown by you. I was like, whoa, this is such an intriguing experience and like the 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 medicine and the mysticism of it. And I'm sure for you too, I, I can't even imagine how many people you have been a base for and flown since you created this. But because of a lot of what you were sharing, how there's like a science to it and there's intuition and there's the codes and the, and all of the things involved, like it truly is a shamanic journey of sorts as you're in it. I didn't see that side so clearly until I met an amazing medicine woman and uh, we were at an event, Summit. Do you know Summit Series? So I was on the Summit boat and (laughs) one of my dear friends was translating for this woman. She's from Ecuador um, and I flew her and actually I was teaching a class and she said, can I try? And it was going to be the demo at the end of a class. And I put her up and I started massaging her and flying her. I spun her around and she said, yo quiero llorar. I want to cry. 
And I said, okay, then cry. But she started deeply sobbing mm. and just letting so much emotion out. And I brought her down on top of my chest and just cuddled her. She's a very small old woman. And it was just like the sweetest thing. And I, there was a part of me that was thinking, okay, this class thinks that I'm a, a warlock and I'm doing these mystical, magical, weird things. But it really helped me to feel this medicine woman was going through a really deep transformation. And when she got back to uh, you know, a more grounded state, she said, this is really powerful magic and you need to be very clear in who you teach this to and how you teach it. And it was just a really sobering experience. Um, and I remember the first time I went to Burning Man, I saw acro yoga teachers that I had trained flying naked women and I was I was so pissed. I was so angry. I'm like, how dare you take my practice and and do this with it? And this is back in the day when I had the illusion, actually it wasn't an illusion, it was somewhat true, that I could control the practice. But I've learned a lot since then, and it's not my job or responsibility to control the practice, but it's my opportunity to share it with the highest degree of integrity that yes. I can. And when I get to the deeper levels of the acro yoga that I've learned and mastered, I do keep that on a short leash. And there's not a lot of people that I train the really deep aspects, specifically of therapeutic flying. Wow. So, okay. I love we're going into all these intriguing nucleuses. So... There's important medicine in what you're bringing up. So I just want to try to hone in what where I'm trying to go or what the question is. It's like, okay, a lot of the people that listen are also on the spiritual path and practitioners, healers of, of all sorts. And so this is an intriguing specific thing, though, that I, you can share some, some wisdom and light on when one is also, you know, beyond just a ceremonialist or someone who facilitates, but you're also an educator or a teacher trainer and you have courses and um, you're disseminating knowledge. Yeah, it, it can become a, a tricky area to navigate um, because, yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, you can do your best to have that integrity embodied and to share, you know, the importance of those pieces and to share the principles and the founding things, you know, everything that you teach. But then, yes, the people go out and live their lives and they are based all around the planet. And what did you do at that Burning Man? Did you approach them in real time or later? If you could just give some examples, I think it would be helpful to people in this educator space? Yeah, I did approach them, not in the moment. I approached them later and I told them what I thought and felt. And, you know, they said that it was all consensual and uh, they had their reasons. And it was part of my maturation uh -huh. to know that I don't have the power to control other people. I have the blessing to inspire people, but it's not my responsibility what people do with the blessings that I give them. Everyone's got their karma. Everyone's got learnings. Uh, one of my dearest teachers, Sri Dharma Mitra, he says, everything is perfect. Mm -hmm. If you're a dishonest student, you will attract a dishonest teacher. Mm -hmm. Everything is perfect. So if somebody needs to learn about pushing boundaries physically, sexually, energetically, that's their learning. And what I can do is I can have a certain code of ethics that teachers that I train agree to. And, you know, we are in the Western world, so I can revoke certification. Mm. But to revoke certification, I need to have legal grounds to do so. So, you know, it, this is a tricky thing where yeah. it's 
Eastern mystical practices in a Western world, and I need to cover myself legally. And I have had some teachers that have been, that have had rape allegations, that have had other things. Wow. And when that's happened, I need to do my due diligence. And one time it was a teacher in, in Great Britain. So I had to look into what are the laws there and how does that work? And I need to be a good listener. I need to gather information. And my, my job, I do feel it is my job. My job is to make this practice as safe as possible. And there's no way to take all risk out of life. Mm -hmm. And if you did take all risk out of life, it'd be so boring. People love risk. People love edges. People love spicy things. So I don't want to take the spice out of the meal. I don't want to take the risk out of the practice, but I want to give people as much knowledge as possible mm -hmm. so they can navigate their own life decisions and how they want to blend this practice mm. with their life. God, this is such a dance and this is such potent, rich subject matter that we're in. So I want to stay here for another moment and thank you so much for your honesty. Like it's, I can feel the of serviceness of it um, through you just being so honest. So I'm curious, okay, because I'm going on my own shamanic journey with this, so stand by, like, okay, so what did you find that you needed to transcend or what were the inner workings of your own process when you realized that this baby of sorts that was downloaded in that you said yes to and birthing acro yoga out into the world when you saw, see or hear that what you created and what you educate and teach is being taught in a way that's not in alignment with what you ideally want. What came up for you when, when you see that happen? I mean, I guess you already touched on it and, but there's, there's just something else here that I want to uncover or unlock. I don't know if you're honing in on where I'm trying to go with it, but just, I guess, continuing in this line of as a teacher, as an educator, when you see the subject matter not being taught in the way that it's intended, did you fear, like, did you come up against like, oh, people are going to view me as quote unquote bad or me as a bad person because they're being taught my practice, but it's not in the way that I intended it. Is it a reflection on you? Like, did you have to wade through those waters a lot? Yeah. So what you're speaking to is very much what my learning was. And I would take the analogy of raising a child. I haven't done it yet. I don't know if it's going to happen in my in my life, but when you have a young child, you're very protective. You're protective of the innocence and you want to make the sure purity. the purity. You want to keep everything in a place that doesn't rock the boat, that doesn't cause suffering, that doesn't expand. And now Acroyoga is 19 years old. So it's not only a teenager, it's almost 20 years old. And so my evolution is has been letting go of, it's not my practice, it's a practice. And it's something that I've dedicated my life to, but it's not mine. It's not mine to hold. It's not mine to tell the world how it should be practiced. It's a blessing that I get to interact with. And it took me a long time to realize that it's not my burden, it's my opportunity. Mm. And my opportunity will consistently evolve and change. I also used to think that there's a lot of uh, aspects that shouldn't be mixed that I am mixing now. Mm. And, and I think that that's something that over time, our viewpoints are going to change. And, you know, this idea of being a purist, of keeping the practice 
no sexual energy and um you know there were a lot of ideals that were almost quaker-like or just very uh modest and you know i've changed my personal opinions about acro yoga and i've seen other people that take it in directions that i wouldn't personally take it into but i don't think it's wrong or bad it's where their soul mm. is is being desired to be pulled in and yeah when when that shaman said hey be really aware of who you teach this to this is really strong magic that's true and that's real and i've taken that information in and that's part of how i'm operating but i don't think it's my responsibility to keep people from their lessons right yes aho yes oh that was a good that was the tweetable moment of there that there we go <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay good okay so before we go where i want to go next i just it keeps coming in so i want to honor it that photo of your grandpa in 1940 doing partner ac acrobatics when you saw that, what happened? It was just affirmation. So there were probably two really big affirming moments. One was, uh, so my grandma passed on and my mom and I were organizing her things and found a photo uh, of my grandfather doing partner acrobatics. And my grandmother had said that he was a gymnast, but he was definitely, you know, very similar style acrobatics that I do. So it was like, wow, well, that makes sense how, mm. how and why I love it so much. And the other moment was when uh, I saw a black and white video of Sri Krishmancharya, who's the father of modern yoga, flying children in acro yoga like poses. So there have been quite a few yogis in my path that say acro yoga is not real yoga. You know, acro yoga is you know, circus, it's fitness, it's, you know, that's not real. But to see the father of modern yoga who trained Patabi Joyce, Iyengar, Indra Devi doing acroyoga-like things, it just helped me realize that not only is this a yoga lineage, but this is a human DNA being mm. expressed kind of lineage. This is something that's natural. And when I traveled the world for the first time sharing acroyoga, that was when I got a really big aha moment that, this is something that all humans have a very similar reaction to, you know, other than drinking water and I don't even know, giggling. There's very few things that are super universal for humans. And to see that all people that I was teaching this to would just turn into kids and play mm -hmm. and laugh and trust. That was a really affirming uh, third component. Um, that brought up for me, the image in your book of like the chimpanzees, the monkeys doing yeah. acro yoga, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know, animal power, um, shaman in me love that you included that, you know, and that was expansive for me to think about that. Yeah. Just in the natural world with our animal allies that they're out there doing acro yoga themselves. Yep. I've, I've seen it in multiple species. I saw, uh, which country was I in? I forget the country, but it was some zoo and there was a bear laying on its back, basically L-basing a piece of wood. It's like flipping around a piece of wood exactly how we do it with humans. And then bonobos are our closest relative genetically. And one of my friends 
is a primatologist and she studied them in the Congo for several years and told me many different stories of trust games that these bonobos would do. And then Jane Goodall, uh, she was in a, uh, a podcast with Tim Ferriss and she talked about very clearly, uh, I think the question was something like, what did you learn from the, bon what did she learn from apes about how she wanted to raise her child? Mm. And her answer was, I want to play with them like they play with their kids. Mm. Like this ability to fly each other you know we all know how to play airplane why is that it's because it's part of our dna it's how we bond socially one of the ways oof okay i'm just yeah i'm letting that really land and soak in all the way into my cells and marrow and that was good medicine for me too i, I hope to be a mom soon god god is willing um whatever is in alignment but um I love, yeah, I love that. The great question to ask yeah. and great answer. Yeah. Ooh, okay. It's a good one. You did like that. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I wanted to marinate in that one for a hot minute. Uh, so I love the story. So I'd love for you to share a little bit how, I forget where you were, maybe the West Coast and you and Jenny happened to be at a party and yeah. the next thing you know, acro yoga is being born. Can you just talk about how the vision or the whisper of the wind or how, how did that open up? Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. It's, uh, you know, I wouldn't believe it unless I experienced it myself. We had this maybe three month courting ritual where we had all these friends in common. She had come from Burning Man. I hadn't been yet. Uh, so we had like a lot of burner San Francisco hippie friends in common. It was 2003 in San Francisco. I had just finished my yoga teacher training. So I was teaching yoga and trying to make it as a yoga teacher, teaching at a circus center that she was training at, but she was training contortion during the day. I was teaching trampoline at night. So we're in the, in the same spaces. Sentences you only hear on Summary <laughs> Circle Podcast. Anyways, continue. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we were in similar circles, but for months we just didn't meet, didn't meet, didn't meet. And then finally, we met at this party and we had heard so much about each other. There was almost like, okay, who are you? Oh, okay, fine. It, was, it definitely was a little like, like sniffing each other out. Yes. And I put her in a handstand on my hands, which is something that she'd seen before but never thought she would do. And then she put me in therapeutic flying, which is a way to relax and receive the benefits of gravity. And as an acrobat, I had never received that. And we were up until 5 a.m. just brainstorming, dreaming into being what this practice could be. We didn't have the name. It was Contact Acro, which is a horrible name. Contact Acro. It just doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue. Contact Acro. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, but it was that for a couple of years. And um, basically, we had thought of all of the pieces that are part of Acro Yoga today, like we wanted to do partner stretching to help open up communication and open people's bodies. We wanted to do basic acrobatics to build trust. And I had a very deep acrobatic lineage that I could pull from as far as progressions and how to organize systems of training. So we had that idea. And then the next week she started teaching with me at the circus center and yeah, the rest is history. Jeez Louise. I love that it started at a circus center. Like, yes. That's just. Seems like a normal place to me. <laughs> totally to you. <laughs> so good. And so I know that it took off pretty quickly. I mean, I'm sure there were, you know, roadblocks and things like, I mean, any birthing of that magnitude, there's 
a lot to sift your way through, but it seemed to be, at least from the outside, a, a practice that picked up steam pretty quickly. You know, because it, it does seem to be an experience where if you have it, or even if you see it, I think nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10, like you either want to do it again, or if you see it, you want to do it. And so I can see how it would open, 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 expand, expand, expand. Is that, was that kind of the case or? Depends, (laughs) depends. So the yoga uh, scene or the yoga world was popping back in the early 2000s. So it was the first yoga conferences, yoga journal conferences, and then globally, the German yoga conference, the Asia yoga conference, all these conferences started popping up. And yoga journal was, I think, the funniest one, because for about two or three years, we would show up, throw out a sarong, and just start flying people uninvited, unannounced, and they didn't know whether to kick us out or to actually invite us as teachers. <laughs> and it wasn't until the other countries, Asia Yoga, German Yoga, and many of the others actually invited us as teachers, they were kind of late adopters. So, you know, Yoga Journal was the biggest market in the US um, and it took them a while, but once they said yes to us, then there were other avenues that started opening. So it wasn't, the cool thing is it wasn't work because we were playing. Mm. We were just having fun sharing our practice. And if somebody opened a door for us, great. But we were already winning because we were doing what we loved and people could see that and they could feel that and they wanted to be a part of that. Did you two know right out of the gate that you wanted to teach others and do teacher training? Did you know that would be a part of the formula? No, uh, that came... So we would go to Dolores Park, which we called the office in San Francisco, and we would jam and we would come up with content. And then we would go to our Friday night class at Yoga Tree and teach what we remembered that we did in the park. And then after doing that for about a year, we're like, wow, we have a lot of content. And whenever we teach a workshop, people forget everything we teach them. So let's write down our content. So in the initial stages of writing our first Acre Yoga manual, as we were about halfway into the process, we're like, well, now that we've got this book, maybe we should teach people how to teach what's in the book. So it was a very natural Mm. process. uh, And that was about three years from when we met to when we did our first teacher training in the Santa Cruz mountains at a friend's winery. And that was the moment that we realized, oh, shit, we can make a living doing what we love. And there are people that will pay money to get trained in what we're doing. And that was a big aha. Hey, it's time for today's microdosing moment where I share about a product that's truly changed my life. Today, it's all about Lotus Way sacred flower elixirs and essences. I love the founder. She's a master flower alchemist, scours the planet, for us to be able to use the world's most powerful healing flowers, blended into delicious tinctures, aura mist, bath salts, and so much more. Today, I wanna share my new favorite. It's called Sacred Body. It's an elixir and a facial mist. And it has nine different flower remedies for rapid detox, self-healing, including yarrow for vitality, pink lotus for wisdom, crown flower to remove toxins, and so much more. When I 
use the sacred body elixir and put the dropper full underneath my tongue. And also when I use the sacred body facial mist, I truly feel cleared of any negative energies. I feel revitalized, nourished, uplifted. I feel like I've got new healthy boundaries all around me. I truly, truly believe in Lotus Way. So when you go to their website, that's lotusway.com, you can use code MYSTIC at checkout. That is all capital letters, M-Y-S-T-I-C, code MYSTIC at checkout. And you will get yourself a Soul Fam discount. Much love, guys. Was there any time in this journey where you hit up against something that almost made you quit or give up, like certain resistance or things being said about you or acro yoga or whatever, that was an almost I'm out of here moment? So the closest thing to that was... Um... Let's see, we were probably about a year into it. And Jenny was teaching circus arts to children. She, her energy was diversified in many places. And she had a boyfriend that, you know, loved acro yoga, but she had her energy in many other places. And I was struggling to make it as a yoga teacher, not making enough money. And I made a resume to work at restaurants because that's the industry that I came from uh, pre acro yoga, one of them. And when I was about to go out and interview for jobs, I just had this very clear sound uh, or voice saying, put the resume down, keep going with the yoga. And I think if I would have surrendered at that point, being a full-time yogi and yoga teacher, I don't think, I don't know what would have happened with Acro Yoga. I don't know if it would have gained the energy that it needed to really pull me and Jenny along for the ride. So that was definitely a pivotal moment. But once Jenny quit her circus teaching jobs and we decided, hey, we're going to put everything in. Let's do this. Let's build this. There was never a point where I thought I'm going to turn back or I'm mm. going to stop. Mm. Because for better or for worse, I've put most of my passions into this practice. Other than playing music, cooking, there's definitely some passions that live outside of this, sailing on boats, like my biggest passions are in acro yoga. So there's really not a chance for me to not be or do acro yoga because they're the things that give me love yeah, and joy. It is, it is life. Um, yeah, it's so ro rooted in you. And it, the feeling it evokes for me as I hear you explaining it is just my connection to shamanism. Like just, it's a full integration of just the fabric of who I am and yeah. everything about my life. There's like no separation. And so... Yeah, I can't imagine ever getting to a place in life where I'm just like not practicing shamanism. Like yeah. it's just, it's who I am and it's my life. So I was intrigued and with this one, share to your comfort level, but I I didn't realize that at some point, Jenny did decide to separate part ways. Yep. Um, and I thought that that was really intriguing. And as a fellow person who balances the world of entrepreneurship and business and spirituality and shamanism, and it's a wild balancing act to do no pun intended but um but yeah I mean I thought wow that that was intriguing to me just her arriving to that clarity and I'm sure that probably was challenging 
confronting, I would guess, and then her bringing it up to you. And then, cause it had already been really established at the point where she was, was questioning if she wanted to continue or not. So yeah, if you could just shed a little bit of, of light, just even from a business perspective of like, oh, wow, you know, because we're dealing with people that are in tune with like their inner wisdoms and where their intuition is guiding them in life. And, and these things um, are apt to come up. So we had a really interesting and beautiful journey where we started out as friends and we built Acro Yoga for two and a half years in that relationship where we were just dear friends. And then something magic shifted. <laughs> and I totally remember the moment when it shifted. I remember I was giving her a massage and it was the first time that I ever felt sexual energy as I was massaging her. And as well as I knew her body, it was like a completely different person just arrived. And so then we were uh, partners for a couple of years. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. Yeah. So this is, this is the sordid tales. Oh. Um, and then we broke up and we broke up after the second teacher training. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, second teacher training. And neither of us knew what that was going to mean for ourselves, for the practice. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the first day that we got together, we cried a half day and talked a half day. Mm. And then the next day we cried a little bit less. And I remember the the big thing that we had to do next was we had our first yoga journal photo shoot. Oh, no. <laughs> of course, the universe laughs. Well, and the funny thing is, you know, we thought as soon as we get in the on the cover or in Yoga Journal magazine, everything's going to change and nothing nothing really changed. Totally. I mean, some things changed. My mom got to see me in Yoga Journal magazine and but what was really cool was in that photo shoot when we were doing acro yoga and we were present, there was no problem. It was when we were in the past or in the future where the problems came. So we realized that this practice when we're present can be medicine for us and we navigated it. Uh, we went another six years, wow. I believe, um, as friends that had broken up. And there are and were some very foundational differences that kept us from wanting to grow this practice together. I'd say probably the main, well, the main two, Jenny is a highly creative person and loves to make things and doesn't have the desire to follow through and refine things like I do. I will teach the same things over and over and over and I keep finding new ways to teach mm. them. And I don't, I like training armies. Like there's, I train an army of acroyogis. This is what I've done. The other difference is I always saw this as a global practice. I didn't see this as a San Francisco practice. And Jenny was really more rooted in, this is my home. This is my community. I want this to be about me and you in San Francisco. Mm. And I was clear that I want this to be about the practice spreading around the world. And that difference was enough uh, that we couldn't really see eye to eye. So back in 2012, I bought her out. I had a friend help me with the buyout, which was really good for Jenny and not great for me. I'm still paying her off, actually. <laughs> and she's been very flexible about the terms of the payoff. I will get it paid off this year, I think, but it's taken me eight years wow. to, to buy this practice from her. And, mm, you know, what I, what I feel is until the economic part is mm. put to rest, 
as it is, when it is, then the two of us will mm. have the possibility to decide we want to interact with each other as friends or build something. But there's been a lot of uh, learning, growth, tension, ups and downs. Wow. Oof. Yeah, I was feeling it all. Just wow, 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 wow. That is, that's another really good hearty dose of awareness and medicine and that honest answer. So thank you. Yeah, I didn't know that you guys were ever a couple. And and even you just being transparent about the buyout part and that eight years in, you know, that you hope it's this year, like, I don't know, it's just something so supportive of the realness, like you just, just being completely transparent that is providing a lot of good healing codes and awareness codes. Let me see before I go into the book if there's any other. Yeah, I I mean, this is just a random share. Well, not random, but a share. But yeah, me feeling, um, especially towards the end of that last answer. Yeah, there is something because um, I witnessed my husband going through it with an ex in a business that at one point they shared in and yeah there is something big that inevitably happens when there's like a a true end cutoff point to certain energetic and and real earth aspects of of a business entity so i i will just be curious to see um once the the payoff the buyout is done yeah what what alchemizes next for you guys that will be intriguing yeah and just in in conclusion um Acro Yoga wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jenny. Yeah. And I am so grateful for so many things that I learned from her. And we have had very sweet interactions in moments, and we've had very challenged interactions in moments. And, you know, this practice has given both of us a lot of tools how to own our own mm-hmm. to accept where other people are in their paths and I'm really happy that this year I have a different financial outlook. Uh, in the last couple of years, because of the book, I've been making money in ways that I never have in my career. I've never made making money my focus. I've made making friends and making uh, contributions to the world through this practice my focus. Yep. And the dividends are immeasurable, but they're not counted in dollars or bitcoins. But they will be. <laughs> Rattle, rattle, rattle. <laughs> Do you hear, universe? Do you hear? She already does because she's already responding. It's been a fabulous couple of mm. years financially, actually. Oh, that's beautiful. So acro yoga defined is a dynamic practice that combines partner acrobatics, yoga, and restorative healing. The harmonized movements between partners build trust, connection, and playfulness. Today, acro yoga is a worldwide phenomenon with millions of teachers and practitioners all over the world. I also love this definition from your book, connection on the edge. I thought that was fascinating. And I also quoted this from the book, acro yoga not only has the power to change the body you are in, it also has the power to change the direction your life is going. I mean, I don't know where to go with what I just said. Um, I think or, you should be my agent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those those are the blasts as I was like reading through and flipping through and doing my Googling and popping around like I, those those bites 
really gave me the the biggest blast and there was I was fascinated by them all why connection on the edge so that's just uh, understanding what the words actually mean that we say so I took an Asian philosophy class back in college uh, my senior year and that class changed me more than most other things that I've learned in my life and that teacher specifically he would say what does the word responsibility mean and he says it's the ability to respond. It's like, oh my God, that's been sitting in front of me my mm. whole life. So he would do it with English words, but he would also do it with these Chinese characters in the Tao Te Ching, where it says, Tao, not Tao. And then you read these translations that say, on a sunny blue blue sky day, there's the wind blowing. It's like, wait a minute, that's not what Lao Tzu said. So in understanding what the words actually mean, there's a lot more wisdom that can be derived. So acrobat, acro means on the edge. The Acropolis is the city in Athens that's on the edge. Oh, Lord, we're getting some wisdom <laughs> drop on us right now. I did not know this. Yeah, so huh. acro means on the edge. Bat means to walk. So an acrobat is somebody who walks on the edge. Whoa, mind-blown emoji. <laughs> <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about where the top half yes, is like... Yes, we all know that one. Love that one. Okay. So acro yoga, yoga means union or connection. Acro yoga is connection on the edge. So when we do partner practices and, you know, when I flew you therapeutically, you might have had moments where you're like, oh shit, this guy's going to drop me. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew you wouldn't. There are parts of you that did and parts of you that didn't. There might be the <laughs> mental side that's like, I just saw him fly big men before I flew. He should be able to hold me. But there's a part of you that needs to go through the emotional, right. visceral right. experience of being like, okay, I actually do trust this person. So those edges that we find are what build the connection. So it can be through therapeutics. It can be through acrobatics. It can be through partner yoga. There's lots of different vehicles for us to help each other find new edges and find connection through that. Ah, yeah, it wasn't the dominant piece, but yeah, I do remember, but it's like, I mean, I know you're a master at this, um, but yeah, I, I guess it just, it's a natural part of the flow when you're on a concrete floor and, you know, um, someone that you just met for the first time an hour ago, like they're just, you know, just twirling you around. And I, I can't remember verbatim what you said, but I think if my memory serves me correctly, a couple of times while you were flying me, there was a, a couple of prompts of sort of like, I don't know, maybe I'm making you, this up. Do you want to find Nemo? I'm sure I asked you that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, things like that. And then or... I would twirl you around and you would laugh. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's, so one of the things that I say is I I get paid in giggles. Like I'm looking to find stuck emotion in the body and mm. shake it out of them with giggling. So a lot of what I do when I do therapeutic flying is emotional work through the physical body, through the trust games, mm. through taking somebody to an edge and us both looking at the edge and being able to laugh at it. Huh. It's just, it's so intriguing to me. It's so wild. I hope um, for everyone listening, if this is resonating or opening up something inside of you, you know, do some research to see in your community, in your city, if there are any uh, teachers. I just, I can't personally recommend it more. It's so fun. And what about the part of acro yoga, not only as a part of change the body you're in, but the power to change the direction your life is going? Yeah. So one example that came to mind, 
at the first teacher training, uh, I had this woman, Laura, come, and she's Puerto Rican. At the time, she was very much into power yoga and very kind of young, masculine energy. And she loved acro yoga, but she hated the massage. She's like, I don't know why you massage is part of acro yoga. And then living on the island, there were some Russian billionaires that rolled up in their yachts, and she started doing massage with them. And turns out, many, many, many years later, she loves massage, and she's built her life and her career based on massage. And she still will do acrobatic things, but you know, you might come to the practice because your girlfriend drags you, or you might come to the practice because you're listening to this podcast. But whatever reason you step into the practice, there's so many different people that you'll meet. There's so many different things that you'll find out about yourself that you're good at or that are challenging for you that will provoke different directions in the way that you're going. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm getting the visual on it. And, and one of the visuals is because we can get so robotic and so regimented as, you know, these oogly googly humans that like, that like boxes and like to know where we're going and like to know what we're drinking and like to know who, what you do for a living. And, you know, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. And then you go into acro yoga and for the first time, maybe since you were six years old, you're upside down, you're in an inversion or yeah, you're having to access a level of trust that your being hasn't had to go into maybe ever, possibly ever in your life. Um, or the, the, the sacred intimacy like the gathering at Callan Payton's that you facilitated for us, it was mainly couples. And so being able to fly Luke and Luke flying me and, and experiencing one another and that there's something about, yeah, the fabric of acro yoga that can absolutely turn on a thread or yeah, pull you over into an aspect of you that completely opens you up in a, in a whole new way. And then once that pedal has opened, then the journey forward into the new land continues. And a lot of it too at this point is because the community is so large, you can get off any number of planes and go to a park and you can be in Berlin, you can be in South America, you can be in lots of places in America. And when you get off and you, you go to the park, you'll meet acroyogis. They're everywhere now. That's and true. Each acroyogi has their life wisdom that gets transmitted and shared to mm. you when you get to fly and play with them. So it is the practice, but it's also the community. Ooh, so good. Okay, so looking at book-specific things, I want to cover a few more. Um, I loved the pink and blue pill thing. Yeah. Can you touch on that? Because it, it's it's around, it's a teaching for how to hold space for someone, but the way you explained it was cool. Well, I borrowed it from my buddy, Naef. He's the one that taught it to okay, me. Okay, shout out. Yep, shout out to Naef. Uh, Shanene is my nickname for him. I love that. <laughs> Shanene. Shanene. So his girlfriend, basically, when there would be something wrong, he would say, do you want pink pill or blue pill? Pink pill is basically just holding space and being a good listener. Blue pill is doing that same practice, but then offering some wisdom, some solutions. It's kind of the masculine uh, way to problem solve. Mm. And when I would actually be talking to Naif, I would say, do you want the purple pill? Which is a little combo of both. Um, and if you know what the person wants or needs that you're 
interacting with, you can be more skillful as a friend. So I think we all have predispositions. I know as a man, I like to solve problems. I like to give advice when there's struggle. I like to fix things. Yes. And it's very much a practice for me to just listen and just hold space and just ask questions more than offer answers. Uh So this is the idea of the pink pill being more of that soft, open space that somebody can lean into without the burden of needing to solve something. Because what I've learned as well, when I'm doing pink pill practice, if I'm not thinking about what I need to say Mm. or do to solve, Mm. I can be a much better listener Mm. and I can actually take in what they're saying on a much deeper level. And oftentimes that's actually what's healing. It's not the thing to solve. It's the the feeling of being deeply heard. Ah, that's so good. It's, I mean, it's, it's great in general in life or no matter what type of relationship, but, you know, Luke is so skilled. God bless him. My husband, like he's, you know, you've met him, but, um, you know, he's just so wonderful and he's such a great partner and so honoring. But, um, yeah, one of the funny things, like when I get really into my Kali energy or just my divine feminine, just like volcanic, like, let me just vent, spew the lava, you know, go, 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 go. Then when I'm done spewing the lava and it's silent, like sometimes I'm, I, that's when I, I and mean, I'm still like fiery and activated. It's like, I want him to weigh in, but he doesn't know that. And he's trying to do a really good job of doing, I guess, pink the pink pill, pill. Uh-huh. you know, he's holding really great space and I'm just like, well, what do you think? And he's like, well, do you want me to, to say anything? So now I think I'll, I'll share this with him so that he has a better understanding of like, give me a strong dose of the, of the blue pill, you know? So great. Um, let's see another thing in the book. Cause what I loved about the book, honestly, of course you're sharing poses and, and ways to actually do acro yoga, but it's such a, it's a wisdom book, you know? So there was just so many, um, general just life takeaways where I thought, Oh, good. Even when I read, it was just a Gandhi quote that you included in the book. But for some reason, when I read it in your book, it hit me differently. It was the happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And I've probably read that quote a hundred times plus before, but reading it in your book, there was like a huge transmission blast that I got. Why, why did you pick that quote or anything you want to share about that one? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll be fully honest. Some of the quotes in the book were just my St. Martin's press team saying, Hey, we have these seven blank pages. Can you, can you come up <laughs> with seven sure? quotes randomly? <laughs> and actually I had like 24 or 48 hours to come up with these quotes. And I was not happy at the ask. I was like, this is random. This, I don't like how this is going to lay out. But when I actually took the time to look at the book and to look at where I could put these little gems, that one landed there. And um, <laughs> so a story about Gandhi that I heard is Gandhi was visited by this woman and this boy. And the woman says, my son eats so much sugar. Can you, can you help us? And he said, come back in one week. And they come back in a week and... Gandhi looks at the child and he said, stop eating so much sugar. And the woman's like, it took you a week to come up with that? Like, what's up? And he said, I had to stop eating sugar before I could tell him to stop eating sugar. (laughs) Note drops, (laughs) mic drops. Yeah. And I have no idea if that story is true, but I love the idea of like being in alignment with what you're saying Uh. and 
being a deep practitioner of integrity when you're speaking to people mm. about beautiful things. So hearing that story, which is a great one, by the way, and I did throw my note papers on the floor. <laughs> That's what naturally. We have video, video uh, yeah, evidence. Yeah, we do. Um, hearing the story and hearing your deeper explanation or definition of it, it makes sense why I love that one so much because like a broken record, every episode I'm always talking about embodiment and integrity and walking the talk and yeah, it's not about perfectionism and I'm also human and so is everybody else. But, you know, anytime someone asks me about shamanism or shamans or teachers or spiritual teachers or whatever, it's just like I just say over and over again, it's it's not necessarily the age. It's not the gender. It's not where they live in the world. It's like, do they have integrity and are they embodied? Yep. hundred percent. Boils down to that. Yep. And it boils down to this Gandhi quote. So I love it. Um, okay. A couple more things and then we'll get to your closing practice for us. With acro yoga, you know, whatever comes up for you in this now moment, one or two of the main ways that it has stretched you personally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, like how has it grown you? Yeah. Um, I would say definitely we already touched upon it a bit. Uh, my desire to control it and my softening around the reality that I can control myself and I can't control other things. And I think a deeper manifestation of that is when the first teachers that I trained started doing their own acro yoga teacher trainings. And I was pissed. Oh, that would have pissed me off. I was like, how could you? I gave you my gift and now you're becoming a competitor in the same market. And actually it just happened recently. It happened, um, about a month ago, I have four friends that are starting their new acro yoga teacher training. And I just, I just said, all right, first of all, can you come up with another name? Second of all, can you vary the ingredients so it doesn't look confusingly similar? Third of all, can you not teach it in Europe one month before my teacher training? And those were all my asks. And they came up with, okay, we're going to call it the acro yoga Academy. We're not changing the dates and live with it basically. And you know, this is because I've been through this many times before now, about about five like solid times. And sometimes these, these people were really good friends. And what's cool is to see mm. varying degrees of integrity or lack of integrity from my perspective about how people do this, um, mm -hmm. such as I had some friends in Australia that started something and I was at day one of a teacher training and they said, hey, we're going to launch this thing. We want to let you know, I hope it's okay. And I said, hey, I'm at a teacher training. Can you wait a week or two before you launch it? And they said no. Um, so basically, long story shortened, I've been stretched a lot and have a lot of growth that has already been done and will still need to continue to be done about detaching my identity to acro yoga and detaching mm. other people's actions I don't think that they're doing things to hurt me. And to a large degree, it's a blessing and an honor when a student can take what you've done and they go out and share it in the world. And this is something that uh, Kundalini Yoga, uh, Yoga Bhaijan, he said, there are, no yoga there are no yoga students, everyone is a yoga teacher. If you learn anything about Kundalini Yoga, go teach your friends. And I definitely have lived that mm. in my life with Acro Yoga and I want to reach a billion acroyogis. And if I try to be really tight and controlling, I'm not reaching that goal. Oh, I saw how 
one of, if not the main original intention that you have for this medicine and wisdom to be shared globally. It's like, you're the one that set the intention, you know, it's almost kind of like, um, I'm getting my medicine yeah, fed back to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my friends that I recently had a falling out with, I felt really good about honoring my feelings and emotions. And I said, Mm -hmm. I'm hurt. And I think we will be friends again someday. Right now, I need space. um, And this doesn't feel like it was handled well. And I felt really good about being able to be honest that Uh. I'm human, that I was hurt, that I put my asks out there. And if they would have changed the dates, if they would have changed the name, it could have been much easier for both of us. But that's not up to me. What is up to me is communicating my truth, living with my decisions, and letting them live with theirs. Absolutely. Aho. Yeah, yeah, the most paramount thing is, um, yeah, us doing our best to learn whatever lessons stay in our own integrity and do our best to stay in our own divine peace and power. But, um, yeah, it can be, it can be very challenging. I, I hear you on that, having experienced my own things in my own ways. Um, so last thing before we go into the ritual is I'm curious, aside from acro yoga, what are, you know, are there certain shamanic ceremonies or just spiritual practices in general that have greatly impacted your life or your daily go-tos? Yeah. Um, I've been drinking tea religiously for, wow, I don't even know how many years, maybe 15 and I love, I've gotten, now that I have a home and I have a tea cabinet, my tea cabinet is ridiculous. Mm. Okay. So here we're going to have a tea cabinet battle when Luke and I finally get into our home. Because that's the thing I'm most excited about is building out my tea cabinet. Oh my God. We're going to go head to head. Oh, for sure. Oh God. I'm down. There's, there's no loser here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Where's actually. Where's your from now? Just kidding. Uh, China. <laughs> so we're all, pu- well, that could be from Taiwan, but yes, we'll talk. Okay. Actually, when I was a nomad, I would say 15% of my travel suitcase was full of teas. So I had a ridiculous amount of teas when I was traveling the world. So now I have my cabinet and I have these little glass jars with nice little wooden containers because I want to wake up, open that and just look and see what kind of teas I want to have that morning. It always consists of pu'er, but I flavor it with other things. Mm. So... So my tea practice is a, is a steady one. And what I love about the tea practice is it's like life. You have each day to bring the best ingredients together with the most mindfulness and have the most delicious mm. day possible. Ugh. And it's timings, it's temperatures, it's amount of ingredients. It's so many things, but it's also so few things. It's just tea, water, time. Those are the three elements. Mm-hmm. So as I do, and sometimes, you know, I'll be on my phone and I'm, I steep my tea for like seven minutes mm. where I usually steep it for one. I'm like, well, obviously this is going to be a shit day. I got to put my phone down when I do my tea. But the other practice that I've done now for uh, almost a year, I have two different translations of the Tao Te Ching. One is more of an English friendly version and the other is more based on the 5,000 characters that are the Tao Te Ching. And the one that's more Chinese influenced the type of wisdom that has come from that book. So basically I'll read one chapter and I'll write both the English translation and the one that's more Chinese influenced. And I remember one, it says, don't oversteep great men. Don't oversteep great. No, don't over esteem great men. This is like pouring two liquids into a cup that was made for one. 
and I'm just thinking through this analogy, like I've never even considered pouring two liquids in a cup made for one. And what the wisdom there is, is don't fill your cup with other people's energy. Mm. Your cup is your cup. And it was just talking a lot about how you need to know who you are and not shine so much light and love around. And this is just one of 81 chapters. So the practice of me sipping tea, writing these things out, and then in the Tao Te Ching, they don't give a title to each chapter. So I read them, I write them, and then I distill a one-line chapter. And I'm only on like chapter 12 now, but I'm I'm taking my time, I'm yeah. going slow. I don't have ambition other than this is my morning spiritual practice wow. that feeds me and fills me. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, I want to land in another notch, uh, more anchored into the the teaching that you just shared though because there's I can you just explain it again like the yeah. the one thing in the cup yeah it says don't don't over esteem great men this is like pouring two liquids in a cup that was meant for one so if i'm over esteeming great men i'm shining light out in directions that is pulling me out of my center i am a cup made for one and I need to pour my own goodness into that cup. So mm. the idea is don't let your idea of what greatness is and don't let your energy shine out so brightly. Be able to know what it is that fills your cup, what it is that makes you happy. Stay centered in who you are and don't try to, oh, this person's really good. I need to be more like them. Mm. This is when you pour those two liquids into a cup that's meant for one. Know who you are. Know what you want. Know what fills your cup and stay with that. Mm-hmm. So that's just one of the chapters. But Boom, beautiful. I love that. Sounds like a great morning practice. Wow. Okay, speaking of practice, Yay. we are we have arrived to this moment. So as always, no driving and simultaneously voyaging with us. Pause or pull over, and I'll let Jason take it from here. Okay. Well, I want to give a mixture of practices, Great. one from my teacher, Dharma Mitra, and one from my Qigong teacher. So the first one is a so-hum practice. And the ancients say that so-hum is the natural sound of your breath. So as you inhale, you can say in your mind, so, and as you exhale, hum. So just get used to breathing and saying, so, hum. So keep with that, and at your heart center, as you inhale, you go up to the third eye, so, and from the third eye, back down to your heart center, hum. Keep visualizing what it's like to move energy from the heart to the third eye and from the third eye back down to the heart. So hum means I am that, that I am. I am you, you are me, we are one. In any yoga practice, you can connect these two areas. From the heart, inhale up so. Exhale hum. And this practice brings the power and the beauty of your mind to your heart and from your heart to your mind. Then the second practice is 
if you have your feet on the ground or if you have your seat in a cushion, whatever's connected with the earth, bring your attention there. And imagine roots growing down. If you're sitting on a chair, it's growing down through the chair. If you're standing on the floor, it's growing through your feet, through the cement, and finding Mother Earth. And it doesn't stop there. It keeps growing down these golden roots, down through the magma to the center of the Earth's core. And this is you being grounded. This is you as a human connecting to your mother. As you feel deeply rooted and grounded, go to the top of your head. Imagine that there is an antenna, a beam of silver light going straight up through the ceiling, into the clouds, outside the atmosphere, and interacting with all the things that twinkle in the night sky. As you connect to what you can feel viscerally with the earth and what you can sense very subtly with the crown of the head, you sit between these two poles. And now imagine a column of golden light surrounding your entire body. You're protected in a protected space. Only things that nourish you and help you evolve can enter in. And as you visualize yourself in this column of golden light, imagine this light expanding to fill the room that you're in. Allison and I are filling up this room. You all are filling up your rooms. And should you choose to, you can let this golden light expand beyond these walls and maybe fill the city that you're in. Maybe fill the state that you're in and expanding this column as wide as your imagination can go. And you can use your logical brain and your mystical soul together to expand to the country that you're in. And then you can let it be a game where you decide, okay, from here, I'm gonna go north. I'm gonna go to the North Pole. Now I'm gonna go to Scandinavia. I'm gonna wash through Europe. Take this golden light wherever you want to take it. Stay connected with your roots. Stay connected with your stars, with cosmic energy. And then take three more breaths, connecting the heart to the third eye. Inhale up, so. Exhale, hum. So. Hum. So. Hum. And with gratitude to all of you that have taken the time to listen, to Allison, who's done your research, who've been one of the first humans to read my book, I'm so grateful. such a nice traveling there so great <laughs> so good <laughs> um the so hum i can tell that's one that i'm being directed to do in the morning before i get out of bed you do so hum 
what I'm going to start. Awesome. Yeah. I could feel the instruction to begin to do that every morning. Yay. Yeah. 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 I have a song that I'll, I'll sing to you at some point. It's uh, my friend actually wrote the song and it's a beautiful, uh, it's English with the Sanskrit and it's all about Soham. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was something instantly where I was like, oh, there's something big here for me. Stay with and this. When Dharma Mitra teaches that, he says, um, bring your attention to the right hand side of your heart. It is a thimble sized space. And this is your true self, your deepest, most self. So from this place, it's just to the right of your heart. It's not quite dead center in your sternum. And as you connect this heart center with your third eye, the third eye, the pituitary gland, your ability to see clearly into the future, these are two energy centers that as they become more connected, your ability to see clearly mm. and your ability to bring your true self to that vision. Oh boy. Yeah. That's intriguing. So it's, it's, is it the the right thimble part within the heart center or just outside of the heart center? So from the heart, it's the right-hand side of the heart. So okay. it is very close to your sternum, but it is, let's see, it's it's on your left-hand side. That's where your heart is. So your heart's on your left. It's the right-hand side of the heart. Okay, okay. Got it. Um, For those of you who have never met Sri Dharma Mitra, he still teaches classes. He's in his 80s. He does no-handed headstands, and he teaches crazy weird asanas, but he also teaches psychic development, meditation, yoga nidra. New York, just look up Dharma Mitra Yoga Center. He's fabulous. Man, I wish I lived there for like 13 plus years. Like, God, I wish I would have known he was there. Oh, I would have definitely been a student well he's alive and ticking he's not going anywhere anytime soon i don't think uh, and he's been one of my deepest teachers oh so honoring him oh so powerful so beautiful love it what a this was this was one of my favorites oh yeah yay yeah i enjoyed it too yeah it was it was it was really good great hearty mix just just fun so many textures to it. So um, I will have this episode coming out, I think, like the week that your book is being born Yay. onto planet Earth, the art and science of acro yoga, move, connect, play by author Jason Niemer. Anything? All true. <laughs> yes, yes. So you can get it anywhere books are sold, I'm it's, guessing? It's ready to be sold now. It's on pre-sale, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, all the places. Great. And anywhere else people should be aware of to move, connect, play with you? Yeah. So jasonneemer.com is another website that I have launched. So if people want to directly find me, that's a great place. As far as finding other acroyogis, there are Facebook groups in pretty much every major city. So if you go Austin Acroyoga and look for the group, you can find your local Acroyoga community. Mm. So there are lots of people that are waiting to meet you and give you your first flight. Mm. And so at this stage in your career, so we both live in Austin and um, live very close to each other. So, I mean, do, do people ever have the opportunity to work personally with you? Yeah. I, I pretty much since COVID, all I do is work with private clients. Huh. I'm not teaching any public classes. And one of the visions that I had, uh, there was a gathering last May and it was maybe 20 adults and about six or seven children from newborn to about four or five years old. 
And this was during COVID. And I guess we're technically still in COVID, even though it doesn't feel like it in Texas, does it? No. <laughs> you have to wear a mask at the airport and the DMV in Texas. And one Vietnamese restaurant that I've been to. But besides <laughs> Other that. Other than that, yeah, good smooth sailing. But basically, when, when I was in this group and I saw all the adults taking turns, taking care of the children, and everyone mm. was so blissful and happy, I just felt like, okay, one of my next missions is I want to teach this Austin group of humans acro yoga. So as they're building businesses together and as we're raising families together, I want to teach the children how to massage your feet. I want to teach the children how to juggle with each other. So I'm very rooted Ooh. in building this very eclectic, cool oh boy. humans. Oh boy. I'm in. Count me in. And I know a lot of the big players at this point. Yes. I haven't met Mr. Musk yet, but I'm very close and I've already met a lot of the great people. Tim Ferriss is the reason why I moved here originally. So there are a lot of... What's unique about Austin is there's not one dominant industry. Yeah. There's tech, there's crypto, there's psychedelics, there's healing arts, there's all these different amazing people. And when we get together, biohacking, it's not, biohacking, it's not transactional like it is on the coasts. Mm -hmm. People want to see if we're friends first and then, yes. okay, now that we're friends, what can we build together? Yes. There, yes. You feel it, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And yes. And I, and I love it. Um, so cool. I can't wait to connect more and play and move more, do all the things thank you for sharing your wisdom so and just transmitting that honesty a medicine i really love that relished in that so much and uh thank you soul fam for sitting with us once again in another incredible ceremony circle voyage and we will sit together next time woo what a beautiful powerful voyage that was it truly brings me so much joy and activates and lights me up to be able to sit with these incredible teachers, leaders, and masters from all over the world. So to learn more about them, just head to my website where all of the show notes and their details are listed. That's alisoncharles.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle Podcast so unique is that at the end of every single episode, you're able to immerse in a potent guided ritual practice or ceremony for your empowerment. So please feel free to make note of the practices that you really resonate with, the ones that really light up your soul and come back to those episodes anytime, any day. You can use them as your daily practices. And I recommend starting your day with one of them at your altar space. Ah, it's been an honor voyaging with you today. And I would so truly appreciate if you'd open your heart to take a quick few seconds to drop a review on Apple, sharing what you love most or appreciate most about Ceremony Circle Podcast. Receiving those reviews is so helpful and allows us to continue to share this valuable content. And don't forget, if you haven't already gotten your copy of my new best-selling book, Animal Power, you can do so anywhere books are sold, or I most recommend going to my website. Again, that's alisoncharles.com, 
backslash animal power. Because when you purchase for you and your friends there, you get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal that I facilitate. Animal Power Book is a modern day compendium featuring 100 different power animals, what each animal represents, their wisdom messages for you, guided practices, and stories from all over the world. I personally put the book up to my heart each morning at my altar, and I ask which animal most wants to work with me that day. And then I simply close my eyes and flip the book open to the page I'm guided. And let me tell you, I have been deeply moved to tears on many occasions, and I can't wait for you to experience it as well. I worked on this book for many, many years, and it's now my greatest honor to have it available for you. So anytime animals reveal themselves for you, you can just head to Animal Power Book and see what that animal is trying to get your attention for. All right, Soul Fam, let's unite again in our next episode coming out next week so we can sit together and continue to activate greater consciousness energies for everyone. Much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.